I don't know what you like at letter writing. I'm pretty hopeless, to be quite honest with you. Um, but letter writing, for those that do it, I'm sure it is, is a really rewarding thing because you know that you can make something understood in a letter that you can't perhaps make understood face to face or by other means. I know sort of email is taken over and uh, various other means of communication, but actually letter writing is a bit of an art. Um, and if I ever practiced it at all, then I probably practiced it when I was at college and uh, getting to know Jackie and I'd write the letters. I'm sure if I read any of those letters again, I'd probably cringe and fall into a hole in the ground. But uh, that, that was probably the time when letter writing became um, a bit more important. Paul wrote quite a few letters and... The amazing thing about his letters is, I suppose, A, they're inspired by God, so therefore they end up in Scripture. He's probably written others that uh, didn't uh, fall within that canon. But, uh, but as well as being inspired by God, you learn so much about situations that can arise uh, in churches. Uh, situations that... Uh, you know, the reason we spend a lot of time in these letters, I guess, is because we can learn for ourselves and for our church the things to avoid, the things to focus on, uh, the corrections when we slip up, uh, the encouragements when we feel downcast. Uh, and, and I think Philippi Philippians is a letter that does just that, just sort of tries to bring everything together uh, and points the Philippians towards the Philippian church towards hope for the future. Um, certainly, uh, Elaine said earlier, I'll perhaps be using the word rejoice quite a bit, uh, because really the, there's something at the heart of this little passage, which is about whatever is going on, rejoice. Um, if you were here this morning, we sang uh, the song, What a Beautiful Name It Is, the Name of Jesus. Yeah, it goes on to say, What a Powerful Name It Is the name of Jesus. And I wonder why it is we sing about beauty and power in a name. A name is surely just a name. But obviously here we're talking about Jesus and actually what we're singing about isn't just the name, it's the person, isn't it, of Jesus. And, and the beauty that we're singing about isn't about the beauty enough to grace the cover of a fashion magazine or the power to pull a truck along with a length of rope. It's that otherworldly beauty and power that shows the magnificence of the Almighty Father through the Son. So with that, and with that alone, we have cause enough to rejoice, whatever the situation So in our passage tonight, as Elena said, Paul is in prison. And he's using that very situation to relate to the Philippians and their struggles. But perhaps the slightly surprising thing is he sort of pretty much is uh, holding Jesus up there as the very reason for their struggles. And what do I mean by that? Well, because he's saying that because of all this, we can be rejoicing. I am rejoicing. I will continue to rejoice. And you too can be rejoicing. So rather than saying, woe is us, look what's happening. 
this is the time to rejoice because we know that Christ is at work. Now that's not always easy to see, is it? That can be pretty difficult to see. And I don't think Paul just does it as a snap piece of writing in his letter, so however good he was at letter writing, I think what he was also really good at was taking a lot of time to discern what God was saying, taking a lot of prayer to see if the things that he was praying seemed to resonate with what God was teaching him. It would have taken him time to reach those conclusions, but then there was a point when he was ready, ready to share those conclusions with the church in Philippi. So our assumption is that Paul is in prison in Rome. And he's not really going to be that sure at that time what's going to happen to him next. Probably he was quite frustrated if he took it on a purely human basis, so not the way he writes it down here, but perhaps the way he was internally. He was perhaps thinking, look, God's been doing so much through me, I don't have time to be kept in here. I've got to get out there and get on with things. This just isn't right. And then the Philippians, what was their circumstance? Well, yeah, they were a fairly new established church. And from the letter we can start to see that disagreements were starting to get into that church. There were dangers of factions. There were dangers of others bringing influence and false teaching into that church. Those sort of things were never very far away. And so given those two sets of circumstances, it would be quite easy to think, well, actually, life is difficult. We've got to seek God's will in a way that's sort of struggling and, and grasping at whatever God is throwing our way. But he's saying, no, look at this as rejoicing, because if you take a step back you can still see all that God is doing. So I think God spends a lot of time reviewing those very circumstances. But he does so not just in internalised prayer and and listening to what God is saying to him, but he's also listening as to what's going on around him and making his choices and conclusions out of the things that are coming his way. Because he he then does come to that conclusion that we have to rejoice, that he has to rejoice. uh, Because he knows that clearly Christ is at work and is in charge. What does rejoicing do for us? Do we ever write, talking about writing, if we write a diary, again I don't do that, but if we wrote a diary, would we ever write, I rejoiced in the salvation of the Lord today? Would we? We might felt particularly pious, we might think that's a good thing to record as we go through our daily life. But actually, I I would imagine the greatest temptation is not to write anything like that at all. It's more, I met this person, I had to do that, made sure that that happened, and uh, we had news about such and such. Those are the kind of things that perhaps go into diaries. But actually, if the focus was on rejoicing in God, and we actually noted that focus, would that really make a difference to our lives? I believe it would. And I don't think we do take time out enough just to say we're going to rejoice in God. We're going to rejoice in all that he's doing. There's calls for celebration. 
Because in life there are always lots of causes for celebration, but there are also lots of causes for us to be disappointed, to be grieved, to be upset, to be worried, to be anxious. Those opportunities are there all the time too. So actually rejoicing is an effort. It is stepping out. And it's not something you can be made to do. In this part of the letter, Paul doesn't encourage them to rejoice. He do rejoice. He does do that in other places. But at this point, he's not saying, this is my encouragement to you, go and rejoice. He's saying, I'm rejoicing and I will continue to rejoice. He's made up his own mind. He's not making up the mind of the Philippians. Yes, indeed, he does go on to kind of explain a few things and therefore bring them to a conclusion in his writing that he wants them to rejoice. But at this point, he's just saying, this is about me. I've reached this conclusion. I know God's at work. Uh, And that's quite important, I think. So how's he got to that point? Well, I think he's noticed what's going on around him. It's all about listening and observing. Paul has had his ear to the ground uh, and I think his supporters locally will have been, become his messengers, let him, letting him know all that's going on around him. So he might be in prison, but Christ still blessed him by putting him in, right in the centre of all that's happening at that time. It might be hard to think somebody incarcerated is in the centre of something, but he is. He starts to hear, he's kind of the talk of the town really, and I know this is all speculation, but my speculation is people are wondering what he's done to deserve imprisonment. Perhaps word would be out that he's a Roman citizen. Let's face it, when he first went to Philippi, he was thrown into jail. Uh, and, and that caused a, a whole lot of fuss because he was a Roman citizen. So there might have been a bit of gossip going on. Oh, look, this guy's in prison, he's a Roman citizen. What do you think he's in for? Well... It seems to be about religion. Well, why, religion. why is religion such a big issue? I mean, we all worship our own gods. We've got our household gods. We've got uh, the Roman gods that we believe in and, and the other gods at other parts of uh, this area hold dear. What, what's the problem in, in being religious? And you can imagine that there's something going on in society where... Uh, people are actually talking about, well, what you, what, who is this Paul chap and why have we heard about him and what's been going on? Perhaps they've been witness to some miracles from him in the past. Perhaps they've been witness to some of the things that he's said and done. But with all that going on around him and the fact that nonetheless they knew he'd been arrested, they might have thought, well, you know, this person is actively defending their God? Well, surely in, in religious terms, it's, you know, we, we believe in gods because it's their job to defend us. Uh, why is it this person is defending his God by explaining about him to everyone? But the real encouragement to Paul is that what he notices around all this, and whether there is that kind of discussion in society or not, we can't really tell, but that's my conjecture. But what he does observe is that the believers, instead of worrying about whether they themselves will end up in prison, they've got a renewed confidence to go out and proclaim the gospel. 
So maybe that very thing has happened. Maybe the debate about religion, the debate about what we should believe as people, was really opened up. And therefore they had a great new opportunity which they grabbed hold of. And, you know, I guess the Greeks are well known for debate, but I think the Romans too would have liked to debate um, certain things. And, and, and you yeah, they might have had a hot, hot opportunity there which, which they grasped. We don't know all the details. We can only assume that the situation was difficult for the church because we know of how much persecution the church suffered uh, in those days. But whether it's Christians in Rome or Christians in Philippi or elsewhere, as churches grow, they change. They branch out a bit, certain influences uh, take hold. And I think the other part of the discernment for, for Paul here is just noticing some of those subtle changes that seem to be coming back to his ears about the church in Philippi. Maybe it was the concern he raises later in this letter about, about Jews that were getting involved in that church and saying, look, it's okay you thinking that you believe in God, but unless you're circumcised, you can't possibly be part of this, this new movement. You know, Jews first and foremost in, in God's order of things, you know. Or maybe it's uh, those that are just kind of stirring up a bit of trouble. You know, Paul suggests that trouble was at the heart of what they were doing. And therefore, it might have been along the lines of, look, we're getting on perfectly okay. We can manage ourselves. We don't need a, a Paul to come back in and tell us what to do and put certain things right. We think they're right as they are. They're fine. We don't need Paul back here. Maybe that was the trouble that was being stirred up, things that might keep him away because word would get back that he's a troublemaker uh, and therefore um, he might you know, remain in prison that much longer. Who knows? But certainly what Paul does notice is that there's troublemaking going on and that that troublemaking um, should have been about bringing the church down. But again, he's able to rejoice because actually, not through his doing and not through the church's doing, but through Christ as head of the church, he is able to turn that situation around yet again. And actually, what comes through is that there are more people, whether for good or ill, who are spreading the good news of the gospel. And whether their motives are bad or good, at least it's happening. And even if the motives are bad, Paul has started to get that reassurance in his own life that actually God has got a bigger plan and he is part of it and something else is going to happen. So he goes on and uses this letter later to give some advice about unity as well. Um, and... His intention, I don't think, is to wade into any kind of debate about what's going on. But actually he's saying, look, there's, there's some great activity that's being created here. Let's rejoice in that. Because at the end of the day, all honour goes to Christ. Whether people try and get in the way of that or promote it, nonetheless, all honour goes to Christ. And I think he's found that a really good and encouraging starting point to make sense of his current situation. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes on because he knows that he needs to bring comfort and hope to the Philippians for what's coming up in the future. 
So great that he's got understanding and discernment about the current position, but, but what next? Why should we be encouraged? What, what could happen for our church next? So firstly, he's making out the point that the rejoicing in Christ doesn't stop. I will continue to rejoice, he says. Rejoicing is not a break activity to fit in just before we get down to the serious business. Rejoicing should be part of what life's all about. And sometimes I think we need to rediscover some of that rejoicing, some of that knowing, as we sang at the beginning, of, of the hope in Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found. But uh, in part, I think his rejoicing is about that partnership that he's already understood that they have in the gospel. He's been to the Philippian church, he's helped it grow, he's you know, started off with Lydia uh, back on the first visit and, and now this, this church is growing and he recognised that they've already entered in a, into a partnership in the gospel and that their prayers and gifts are, are further strengthening the hope uh, <coughs> that uh, Paul will one day be delivered from his current situation in the best possible way. But perhaps quite unusually for any kind of letter, really, um, Paul is discerning that he's got a couple of options here. And those couple of options are quite simple when it comes down to it. Option one, live. Option two, die. Quite stark. But actually what he's really observing is that whatever happens, either way, he knows that nothing can work out where Christ isn't honoured. Christ will always be honoured through whatever happens next. And that's the real realisation that he's coming to. Obviously, he recognises that by dying, all the current troubles are out of the way and he knows that he's got that wonderful future with Christ. And so, he can see the appeal of that. He sat there in his cell or in his room, if he's just simply confined to a room, he sat there realising that actually what a release that would be and what a joy that would be to be united with Christ in eternity. But the more he thinks about what would happen if he continues to live, the more that he can see that there's a lot more to do to build up this church and others, not just the church in Philippi, all through Macedonia. Because after all, Christ purposefully redirected Paul to go to Macedonia in the first place, as we read in Acts chapter 16. And as he's thinking these observations through, that's what helps him make his decision. And I find that particularly interesting because, of course, he can't guarantee himself whether he's going to carry on living. He can't guarantee that he'll be released if he does live. But clearly he's reached a conclusion and a conviction that must have been delivered by Christ himself that there was a future path for him to follow. That he was allowed the faith to believe that come what may, that was what was going to happen. And he had the confidence not just to believe that for himself but to share that with the Philippian church. So just imagine if it didn't happen what that would look like on his credibility but he was so convinced that actually God was showing him that he would go back to that church in Philippi that he had the confidence to share that and believe that with that church 
And he asks for sufficient courage, doesn't he? We look at the passage, he asks for sufficient courage. And again, we've started this morning, in the morning services, aren't we, looking at faith. Uh, And it's not just about courage, it is about that faith to believe that what God is promising will come to pass. Um, But he has that courage to hold on to his hopes and expectations. Even if anybody else looking from outside would think, gosh, that looks pretty uncertain. I'm not sure that I'd go around stating that that's going to happen. Can't see it for myself. But he he asked for courage and we assume by writing this letter he's received that courage. So I think... In, in the basic sense of it, Paul does three things. He starts off and finishes off by rejoicing so that he knows that his focus is on Christ and that all that Christ has achieved through, through suffering, through dying on the cross and being raised again. He knows that if that is his focus, he has every reason to rejoice. And the next thing he does is he listens. He listens so that he knows what's going on around him. He's then able to come to the sort of conclusions that he can about what should happen next. And he also observes. He observes what Christ is doing in that very situation. And maybe you could say he's seeing it in a way that nobody else would ever see it. But it's obviously the right way because God is showing him that it's the right way. And so that helps inform his plans for the future, both for himself and his, and his uh, Philippian audience. He writes it all down. The rejoicing is key in giving him the strength and the focus. The listening is key so that he really knows what's going on. But the observation of what things are and what things might be is also key in in having God revealed to him what he should claim would be happening next I don't think we can be like Paul in prison but I think there are a couple of things that we can take from this picking up from Andrew's last week I wasn't here to hear Andrew last week but um, picking up on that and saying that Christ is always looking for progress in his church Verse 25b in in our passage today. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. I will continue with you. I'm not letting you go. This is the start of this letter. I'm going to go on and explain some more things. But I will continue with you. He knows there's going to be progress and he's there to be part of it. There's going to be progress for him in his situation. There's going to be progress for the church. And he knows that that's what Christ is looking for. Jesus wants to see his church grow today. He wants it to see see it grow through prayer and rejoicing and praise. He wants to see it grow through the things that we do and we say. Through those that we meet, through those that we support through those that we work with, share life with, build faith with. 
those are the mechanisms through which Christ can see his church grow. A willing heart and a listening ear. How many times does Jesus say in the Gospels, he who has ears to hear. Always hard to say, but an important phrase. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And secondly, and really importantly, I think Christ has given us freedom. And we're drawn to see that freedom here tonight by a man in chains in this passage. He's a man in chains, but he's showing us the key to freedom. So we've got a year ahead of us. And... I think perhaps for examining ourselves, can we say, what is it that's chaining us here and now? What do we need to be released from? There are always hurdles in life, and some of those can be big, some of them might be quite small, but whatever they are, they're still hurdles. And we need to be released to get over them. The hurdles that we don't get over are the ones that somehow were weighed down but we can't make it over somehow. Paul started off by rejoicing, listening, observing. If we do that in our lives, can we start to focus on those hurdles and start to get over them? Paul eventually received assurance that he would be released. He would fulfill another purpose. There are things that we need releasing from tonight in the weeks ahead. Can we start to bring those before God with the same sort of confidence? And maybe we too have another purpose to fulfill. Of course, for Paul later, after doing God's will, he was arrested again, imprisoned again, and for a final time. He was eventually then released in death and that was to his gain. So the assurance of what comes next doesn't necessarily assure us for what comes after that. But I'm sure we'd all rather be released than held back. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we are just amazed at what Paul was able to write in his situation. We're amazed that he was so confident that he would be released. We thank you that you revealed that to him and that you gave him the courage that he was looking for. Lord, we too need to be released from some things in our lives. Maybe things around us, maybe things that we've brought upon ourselves. Maybe circumstances Paul and the Philippian church found. Maybe outside influences pressing in.
Lord, rejoicing in you is, is a focus of our Christian life and our Christian worship because we know that in you all things have been achieved. Lord, we recognise in looking at this passage tonight that Paul persevered while he was in church, while he was in prison, excuse me, while he was in prison and then received that assurance that he needed. And we pray for our church that we too might look to the future and get the assurance that we need and look for as to our next steps what we as a church will be released to do in this town and this community. But as with Paul, we rejoice in what the situation is now. We thank you for those that come through our doors. We thank you for those that are just starting to get to know this church. And we pray, Lord, that they might truly be met by you, that you might speak into their situations and their lives. And Lord, help us, we pray, where, where that is your will. Just guide us. If we were thinking about progress in terms of getting to want, know one another better, then pray, Lord, that we can do that. To knit your church ties together and to see it grow to the honour and glory of your name.